there are those things that happen in life. I had a first this past week, uh, and uh, I've been waiting on my, my bees to swarm, okay? Anybody know anything about bees? All right. Been, I did, they sting you, right? Once they sting, it's over with. I've been waiting on my bees to swarm, and I've been watching them. And, and so I had taken Dottie out to get some peaches the other day. On, I, think it's, I guess it was Monday. And so when I went out to, the, to get her some peaches, I was standing there, and I, and I, heard, this, I heard this noise. And I looked up, and I, and I go, the bees are swarming someplace. We just got to find them. I could hear them. And I looked up over in the limb, and there they were in a ball about, about this big. Huge ball. Ask Bill. Bill hold it. He'll confirm my story for me. And so, um, so when your bees swarm, okay, what happens is they split, and you got to, you, to to put them in a hive. And so I had already done my pre-planning so that I could put them in another hive. And so I had let it set out there just in case you know one happened to find the beehive, and then maybe they would all go in there, and I wouldn't have to do what I was fixing to have to do. But that didn't work that way. They have sort of have a mind of their own. Um, so I called Bill, and, and so Bill comes over, and he starts flitting around. And he, he goes, I thought you were joking with me. He said, man, I thought there was like a wad of bees, like this big, like, you know, a hundred or so. I didn't know there were thousands upon thousands. And so uh, he goes, man, how are you going to do this? I said, well, this is what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> I said, I'm going to get the garbage can, and I'm going to climb up in the tree, and I'm going to shake the limb and shake them into the garbage can, and I'm going to close the lid on it, and then I'm going to... I'm going to, what are you laughing at, Vicky? And, uh, and so, and I put my white sheet down and I said, I'm going to dump them on the ground and they're going to claw into the beehive. And Bill says, they're not going to do that. And I said, yeah, they are. I said, watch this, man. And so he goes, well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I got everything ready and I cl climbed up in that tree and, and, uh, uh, smoked them just a little bit. You don't really have to, when they're swarming, they got other things on their mind. Stinging you is the last thing they got on their mind. And so, uh, no, I, it's not one of those you think, and they did sting. That's not it. But, uh, but anyway, so I, 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 Meredith says, well, I tell you what you need to do. You always got to have a woman in the group to tell you what needs to get done. <laughs> you got to let her think she's the one with the right answer. You know, even though I had already thought about this, you know. No, oh, no, no I'll get there a little bit later. So anyway, so Meredith says, you need to go get a rope so you don't have to hold that trash can. The trash can pretty, was pretty heavy. So I, I tied it to the trash can, threw it on. I said, all right, Bill, pull her up. So I'll walk up, and I got the trash can right up underneath this. I mean, this water bees is this big, and I'm not joking with you. I wish I'd have got me a YouTube. I could have made a million bucks, and it would have been building. <laughs> so Bill says, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to shake the limb. And he says, but what do you want me to do, run? I says, no, just stand right there, hold the trash can. And so I shook the limb, you know, I shook it really good, and they fell into the trash can. And I'm like going, let it down. I can't shut the lid on the top of it. So we get them all down on the ground, and, and uh, so I, I dump them out on the ground, and they just start going all over the place. And it's, it's hilarious. It's like follow the leader. So you got bees walking this way. None of them are really flying around. You got bees walking over here. And finally, one bee goes in the hive. And this is what you call follow the leader. As soon as that one bee went into the hive, it was like every one of them did an about face. And they just started just moving into that hive. Beating this thing you've ever seen in your life. 
Oh, it's the queen. <laughs> so, so anyway, Bill says, man, I'm glad that's over. And I said, it ain't over yet. I said, what? I said, man, there's more bees in that tree. He said, you've got to be kidding me. So uh, we got all the bees in the hive. And you know what? Uh, if, if I would have told you that, you're like going, you've got to be kidding me. To watch those bees on that white sheet, and it's like they march. They don't fly. They march into that hive, and they crawl right up into that hive. They know exactly what they're doing. We're the dumb ones. We're the dumb ones. But seeing is believing. You know, um, we're going to talk about that today because I think it's really important, especially as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's some guys that we're going to talk about today that seeing for them was so life-changing. It was so life-altering that these guys that would run around and hide uh, when they were following Jesus and they would deny Jesus, these same guys would eventually give their life for Christ. Here's a great question for you. If you were put on trial today and you were to be accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convince you or to convict you of being a Christ follower? Let's say that we were to take your friends, your best friends that live with you, even your spouses or your children, and they were to be put on, they were to be put on the on the stand and they were to be asked questions about your Christian faith. Would there be enough evidence by the time that they had been questioned to convict you of being a Christ follower? What would we say? Let's say this right here. Let's say that you were put in a firing, firing squad today and our faith, we were being persecuted for our faith. How many of us in this room would be willing to die for our faith? Peter says he was. And when the rubber hit the road, what did he do? He ran the opposite direction. But see, you're being persecuted for your faith every day, and you don't even understand it. Many of you in the workplace, you deny Christ on a daily basis. We talked about the word, some of the final words of Christ over the past several weeks, and we ended last week with, with a conversation between Jesus and two criminals, two thieves, as they hung on the cross. We don't know exactly what they had done, but this is what we, what we do know, is that whatever they had done was bad enough that these two men were being crucified for their crimes. Um, and out of those two men that hung there on both sides of Jesus, there was Jesus in the middle, there was a conversation that took place. One of the men that was there that was being crucified cursed Jesus, and he said, listen, if you are the Son of God, then take us down, save us, and save yourself. But the other man that was there knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And as a result of that, he looked at Jesus, and if you remember, he said, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And you remember the words that Jesus said to him? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And at that, pro at that moment in time, one of the biggest misconceptions that we have in, 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 in our world today was, was shot down because Jesus at that time taught that it wasn't good people that go to heaven but it was forgiven people that go to heaven. See, that man that was hanging on the cross that had asked Jesus for forgiveness didn't have enough time to right the wrongs that he had committed. Didn't have enough time, Steve, to go back and clear up the debts that he had created. 
The only thing he had enough time to do was to cry out to Jesus at that moment and say, Father, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And Lord, can I be with you in heaven? Because he believed. Um, <laughs> great, great thing. Because I believe today that our churches are filled with people that think they're good. Yet they've never cried out to Christ and believed on him and asked for forgiveness for their sins. Wow. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Christianity isn't, the central to Christianity isn't the death of Jesus. It's not Jesus' teachings, but central or uh, central to Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He said that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our entire faith is in vain. That if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we're wasting our time. The Christianity itself hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Um, and it was the resurrection that validated his claims of, of deity as well as his teachings. Now, there are several challenges to the resurrection of Christ. Let's talk about some of those today. Number one, one of those, one of those uh, complications or challenges would be this. Some people say that Jesus didn't die, but he just he fell asleep. He passed out. But we know that that isn't necessarily true because of what John himself wrote. He said because he was pierced and blood flowed and water flowed out of his side. There were some people that say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but Jesus' body was stolen. Well, I guess you could say that, but you'd have to understand that those that were guarding the tomb that day, that their lives were at stake. And I don't know how many of you would want to fall asleep on the job when your lives would be at stake. That's exactly right. And not only to understand that it wouldn't just be one of those guards that would have to fall asleep, but all of the guards would have to fall asleep and fall asleep for a long period of time. And why in the world would the disciples themselves want to go grab Jesus' body and remove it when they had saw that they had, when he had died, when they had saw that Jesus had died? Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to risk their lives to steal a corpse? Some Muslims today, some Muslim religious leaders say that, that, um, that Jesus had a twin brother. And it was that twin brother that died in Jesus' place. Another challenge to the resurrection story is some people say, well, the only proof of the resurrection comes in that book by the name of the Bible. And, um, and some say the Bible is just a book, but we know that that really isn't the case, is it? Because the Bible is a collection of books, a collection of manuscripts written over some 1,600 years by 40 different authors. And 20-something of those books in the Bible are written by people who either saw Jesus die, saw him after the resurrections, or were friends with somebody who saw him after the resurrection, and they had intimate, close encounters of conversations. And as a result, their lives were changed. The reason that we believe Jesus came back to life isn't just because the Bible says so, but it's because of the intimate recorded accounts of these people just like you, Rob, and just like you, Vicki, and just like you, Mike, and just like you, Greg, and just like you, Curtis, and people just like us that wrote down what they saw, what they experienced in life when nobody else around them believed it, just like the bees. See, y'all have heard my four-legged chicken story growing up. 
See, I remember, and the teacher asked us what was the most abnormal animal that we had at home. You know, those kids, well, I got a guinea pig, well, I got a little pet duck, or I got a lizard or something. Well, I got a four-legged chicken, you know, and you get made fun of. <laughs> what, are you, what are you laughing for, Tracy? <laughs> I had a four-legged chicken. You don't believe me. Do believe you do. <laughs> Nobody else believed me. I was sort of like the laughing stock. You know, he's got a four-legged chicken. He's telling another lie. But I had a four-legged chicken. And you know, it took me having to have a birthday party at my house to show everybody my four-legged chicken. For they believed me that I had a four-legged chicken. Seeing is believing. But I want to tell you some of the things that some of these guys experienced. And listen to some of the, the stories of these people that actually recorded that they experienced or they saw firsthand what had taken place. Look at Matthew, by the way. Matthew, he writes one of the Gospels. Before he followed Jesus, he was a tax collector. Matthew himself wasn't that religious of a person. As a matter of fact, he left Judaism to follow and side with the Romans because he wanted to make more money. That was what was on his mind. But here's a guy that would follow Jesus. He would see Jesus die. He would saw where he was buried at. And he had conversations with Jesus after the resurrection. And you know what? As a result, this guy's life was radically changed. If you've ever came to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, if you've ever had a personal encounter, your life cannot be the same. If you're here today and, man, you say, man, I want you to tell you, I love Jesus. There should be evidence of that. There should be life transformation, not just coming to church on Sunday morning. And this is, a, this is a guy that would spend the rest of his life, that wanted to make more money, that would give up all that, that stuff, and he would set aside his life to tell other people that Jesus had died on the cross, that he had rose from the dead, and that he was God's son. That's pretty transformational, don't you think? This isn't just people that says, well, oh, I'll go over to Poland for a couple of weeks, and I'll go serve and spend some money. This is radical transformation. Mark lived in Jerusalem. as probably was the son of a wealthy woman. We don't know if he witnessed the crucifixion or the resurrection, but we do know that he was close friends with Peter. You know, the guy who denied Christ. And Mark believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And he took his notes that he is, as he had sat in personal conversations with Peter, and he wrote out what we know as the Gospel of Mark, which we would consider to be the earliest gospel that we have. And here is Mark who is convinced of the resurrection that when he traveled with Paul, he was so convinced that they would go about and talking about Jesus and what had taken place. And there's a passage of scripture, and we didn't record this, but in Mark chapter 14, verse 51, we aren't sure, but after Jesus was, was arrested, the disciples fleed, and there is an account of a man who, who basically left behind his tunic and fled naked. And we sometimes believe that we think that was Mark. But here's a guy that would take his life and he would write down the accounts and eventually he would tell other people about Jesus and what had taken place. And then there was Luke. We're going to read from today, the physician, the doctor. And this is a doctor that believed that a dead man came back to life. A dead man came back to life. And he said in the beginning of his books that his goal was to give an accurate account of what took place, a detailed account. And he writes his book after the resurrection. And here is Luke, and he interviews as many people as possible that actually had seen what had taken place and believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Luke, just like Matthew and Mark, would spend the rest of his life telling other people about Jesus. 
See, there's, a, a, there's a, sort of a, a pattern here that you'll see that if you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it sort of affects your life. And life doesn't go on the same. And you see, it's sort of like you can't stop talking and telling other people what you've seen and what you've saw with your eyes and what you've experienced. And then there's John, the fisherman. See, before he followed Jesus, um, he, was a, he was a guy that worked with his hands out catching fish. And this is a guy that would write the Gospel of John, and he would also write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And, and this is a, a guy that, that writes um, after Jesus had ascended into heaven to tell us that Jesus had risen from the, from the grave. And he encouraged us to live out our faith. And there was something special about John because as John stood there, Jesus would look down to John and he would ask him, he would say, listen, I want you to see, you see my mom? He said, I want you to take care of her. I want you to watch after her. And so there was something special about the relationship that Jesus had with, with Jesus and also his mother. And John saw Jesus die, and he visited the empty tomb. And John believed that Jesus came back to life, and he would spend his entire life telling other people about Jesus. And he would end up on an island called Patmos, and he would write the book of Revelation. But then there was a guy by the name of Peter, another fisherman. Peter was the guy that said he would never deny Christ, John, but he did. This is a guy that said, I'll never denounce my relationship with Christ, yet he abandoned him. Peter goes on to write letters in the New Testament, and it was very clear that Peter believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. See, Peter had saw Jesus die, and this guy who once denied Christ eventually would spend the remainder of his life telling other people about Christ. As a matter of fact, when he was arrested and he was taken to Rome and put on trial, we don't find this in the Bible, but the Bible says that Peter said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified as Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Why? Because he had a personal encounter. See, it's the personal experience, it's the personal encounter with Christ that changes our life can't go on the same, Danielle. We're different because we've seen, we've experienced. And then there's James, Jesus's brother. And the Bible says that, that he goes and he calls himself a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And James would eventually go public with his faith and he would become a leader in the local church movement. And then there's this guy by the name of Paul who has this unbelievable experience on this road and he has an encounter with the resurrected Christ and this guy that was once a persecutor of Christians this guy that would would rather murder and stone and abuse believers all of a sudden goes from persecuting to planning he goes from persecuting Christians to sharing about his newfound faith in Christ and planting churches, as well as writing probably half of the New Testament. Paul would have said, you can question an awful lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that I don't understand, but this is what I do know. Kenny, I know what happened to me. And as a result of that experience, my life has been changed. And you know, every one of these guys that wrote, how many, of them, how many of these guys do you believe thought 
that Jesus, having been crucified, would have ever been resurrected. After Jesus was dead, there were two men that went to Pilate. You just couldn't take a body. You had to go and ask for it, ask for permission to take the body. And there were two men that went to Pilate to ask for permission to remove Jesus' body, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They went to him and they asked. And this is an interesting point. Both of these guys were wealthy. Both of these guys were well-known within the religious community. But both of them were undercover believers. Nicodemus was a part of that ruling council. Joseph was probably a, a, a wealthy businessman. But both of these men silently believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But they were afraid to go public with, with their faith. But it was funny because after Jesus was dead, they risked it all. They come out of the closet, per to say, and they go to Pilate and they asked for Jesus' body, and they take it to the tomb, and they wash it down, and they prepared it quickly before sunset, because according to the Jewish law, they couldn't work after on the body after the Sabbath. So they prepared his body, and they put it in the tomb, and they went home. And why did they go home that day? They went home because they thought, they believed, they understood that he was what? He was dead. It was over. He was dead. No one expected the resurrection because they had saw what had taken place to Jesus. They had saw how he had died, and they knew that there was no hope. They saw him hanging on the cross. They didn't have a clue how things would end up. See, see they didn't have the, the, uh, the resources that we have today. They hadn't seen the passion of Christ they hadn't seen the Ten Commandments, and they didn't have seen all the books and the records of everything that had taken place. All they had saw is what they had saw personally there that day, that Jesus had died, and as far as they knew, everything was complete. It was done. It was over. In Luke chapter 24, I want you to read this account with me today as we walk through this quickly. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. And this is how Luke records the details. And remember this, Luke was the guy that wanted to make sure that everything was recorded as it took place. This is the guy that gathered the information. And he says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. <laughs> Why do you think that they prepared the spices? Why do you think that they went to the tomb? Because they believed Jesus was dead. They were going to prepare the body. Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, remember, nobody is anticipating, nobody is thinking anything about a resurrection. Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why don't you look, why do you look for the living among the dead why are you here he's not here well we're here because he's dead that's where you look for dead people is in a, in a graveyard you look for dead people in a tomb verse 6 he's not here for he's risen remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee see that the angels had already told them this. Jesus had already talked to them about this prior to, but it's like they didn't hear him. In verse 7 it says, The Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners to be crucified, and on the third day he will be raised 
again, and it's like they're saying, he told you this. Didn't you get it? He told you this. Verse 8, then they remembered his words when they came back from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and all to the others. See, they were huddled together. And why were they huddled together? Because they believed that he was what? They believed that he was dead. Verse 10 says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciples. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like, like, seemed like nonsense. Who would believe that a dead man would be raised from the grave? Who would believe that somebody would have a four-legged chicken? Who would believe that some nut would climb up in the tree and shake bees off into a... You had to be there to experience. You had to see it. You had to experience it. And the question is this. What happened between it seemed like nonsense to the lives that were spent to writing about the resurrection? What was it that happened with between it seems like nonsense and these guys who would spend their life living for Jesus and would eventually die for him? And I'll tell you what it was. Their minds were changed because they saw him. They experienced him. They didn't give up their lives to follow Jesus because of somebody else's story, what they had heard. They didn't give up their lives, and many of them die because of, of what a, a fable that had been passed down. But they gave their lives because of what they personally experienced have you ever had anything in your life that you were so convinced of because you had saw and it didn't matter what anybody else said you would hang to it and you would stick to it because you knew what you had experienced i'll always for i'll always remember you can tell me i didn't see it but i saw it with my own two eyes i remember fishing off of port canaveral and i was several miles off and all of a sudden, it looked like something out of a, a Japanese movie with Godzilla. The water began to bubble up, and it's probably a half a mile off. I don't know how far it was, but the water began to bubble, and this missile comes out of the water and shakes like this and turns on its side and shoots off. I saw it. I don't care what the government tells you, <laughs> but I saw it with my own eyes, and I thought to myself, somebody's been watching me the whole time. <laughs> I saw it. I experienced it. Those people that were there, they saw it and they experienced it. And as a result, their lives were changed. Here's Paul. Paul wasn't there at the tomb, but his personal encounter of the resurrected, resurrected Christ was proof enough for him. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians just for a second. 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, right in there in the New Testament. Paul had written this book, 1 Corinthians. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or verse 5, chapter 15, verses 1. I love to hear your, your pages on your Bible sing. You hear that, Sheila? Hear all that turning going on? Dan, this answers your question. I don't know what the conflict was the other day or what you and Tara were having this battle about, but here this answers your question, okay? This is what Paul said. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. This is after Paul had had this encounter with Christ, which you have taken your 
stand. By this gospel you were saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance. And this is what he says. Here is the gospel, the good news of Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul said, this is what I believe. This is the gospel. Paul said, listen, I wasn't there then, but I had my own encounter with Christ on that road. And I have spent enough time talking and listening to other eyewitnesses as well as walking with Christ himself that I believe that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, and he actually was raised from the, from the, dead, from the grave. In verse 5, and that he appeared to Peter. Paul also had a conversation with Peter, and Peter said, told Paul, I saw him with my own eyes. We had a meal together, and he rose from the dead. And then to the twelve, I talked to him too, they said. And after that, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Bump him, Tara, just sort of bump him just a little bit. In other words, I know how crazy this is. This just isn't my story. This isn't something that I made up. I just didn't hear this from one person. I didn't hear it from two people. I didn't hear it from three people. But listen, this is a story that multitudes of people shared that they had saw Jesus, had experienced Jesus after the resurrection. It was true. Most of them, verse 6, who are still living, though some have fallen asleep and died. In other words, just don't believe me, guys. Go back to Jerusalem and get it for yourself. You're going to get the same exact story. There are people still there who saw Jesus personally. People that are still alive. People that saw Jesus after the resurrection. And then he appeared to James, he said, his brother. And then to the other apostles, all of those that had followed Jesus during his ministry. And last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. One abnormally born. See, Paul just didn't walk with Jesus over a period of years and listen to Jesus' teachings and um, as the disciples did. Paul had an experience, a conversion experience that was immediate, that was sudden. Here they are, the disciples having time to walk and to talk with Jesus and Paul's conversion experience was somewhat different. But Paul knew this, that what he had experienced had completely changed and transformed his life. It altered his plans, guys. Here's a great question for you. Does your relationship with the Lord alter your plans, or is your plans his plans? I mean, are what you're doing right now in life, is that your plans, or is that God's plans? You know, those of you that are in college, I don't really know what you want to do with the rest of your life, but if you were to tell me, the question would be, is that what you want to do or is that what you sense the Lord wants you to do? As an adult that's been in the position for many, many years, the question is, is that what you want to do or is that what the Lord wants you to do? Personal experience changes everything. See, for those of us that are Christ followers today, the question is this, do what you believe, does what you believe, your foundation flow out of a, mu a movie or a dramatic experience? Um, I mean, do you believe because of what somebody else told you? Or is this a personal 
encounter with the risen Savior that you've had. See, the resurrection just wasn't a story, but it was a verifiable, verifiable event in history recorded by many, many people. And it's not just the book. It's recordings of many people that have written that are a part of this book. And they believe that he was crucified, that he was buried, but he was resurrected. Not because of what somebody told him, not because of somebody, what they had been told or what they had heard, but it was because of what they had personally experienced. So you can doubt the scriptures and you can come up with your own questions but you can't doubt what I've experienced because I know what I've experienced I know what I've walked through and I know that I've talked with the Lord and I know what I believe and as a result when I was a young teenager it became um Gosh, Lord, I really want to do this. But if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'd really like to make a lot of money like Matthew. I'd really like to be the tax collector and collect all those finances. And I'd really like to be able to put that in my back pocket. But Lord, if you've got other plans, I'll follow you. And you know why I'll follow him? because it's not my agenda anymore it's his agenda it's not my plans anymore it's his plans and you know every day I'm challenged with that every day I'm challenged with that because there's no way that you can come in contact with a resurrected savior and it not completely transform your life Kenny, has your life been transformed? Yeah. Steve, has your life been transformed? Absolutely. Fred, your life transformed? Yeah. Tom? Mr. John West? Cecil? Yeah. See, there's no way we can have that experience in our life not be radically you can go to church you can give you can go to Poland you can go to Timbuktu you can buy a water well you can do all kinds of things and your life never be radically transformed but when you see Jesus and you encounter him personally something happens and it's radical. Don't you want to be a church of people like that, Lori? Do you think that there do you think that a church that was that was living in that direction, that was moving in that direction, don't you think that it would have an impact in the community in which we lived?
Do you think that if our lives as adults were radically transformed because we had personally encountered Christ, do you happen to think or believe that the generation that becomes behind us, that their lives would be different because of what we had experienced? Wow. See, that's what we're shooting for. Not more church, but to learn to be the church. That's what I desire. That's what I desire. And I wish, guys, that I had it all together. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I've got it all together. I wish I could tell you that Brian had it all together. You know, I wish I could tell you that Bart had it all together. Even Phil Egner had it all together. We know that it's not right. <laughs> He's close. But, man, we're pilgrims on a journey. And the only thing that those of us that are Christ followers know is this. I had an experience. And Jesus changed my life. And the goal on this side is to move closer and closer and closer. And to become more confident and courageous and bold in our experience and our testimony for Christ. Not because of what Sidney told me because he was standing up there talking to me. Not because of what somebody else told me. Not what I saw in a movie, but because I had a personal experience with Christ that radically changed my life. For he is risen. He is risen. And our Christian faith doesn't center around the death, Steve. And it doesn't center around the teaching. But the central thought process for those of us that are believers is this, is that Jesus is resurrected. And Tracy, as a result of that, our lives are different. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for this day. Um, Lord, I... <laughs> wow. Um, what an encouragement to me, Lord, because there are so many times that I face... I face the issues of doubt like Kenny talked about. There are some times, Lord, that my mind just gets to rolling around and while I get to struggling just like everybody else does. But then I go back and I begin to read your word and I begin to read your testimonies of the people that saw you. And then in my own life, I go back to the time, Lord, when I said, Jesus, I trust you. In my own personal encounter, wow. And because of that, I have boldness and I have courage. Help me, Lord, though, in those times that I am weak to become more bold. Father, help me not to, to hide like, like maybe some of those did back then with Nicodemus or Joseph. But Father, um, be before Jesus' death, help me to be bold like them after the crucifixion. To come out and say, hey, I want everybody to know that I'm a Christ follower. Father, may my life be so radically different as it was with these that saw and had personal eyewitness accounts of you after the resurrection because they were so bold that they even gave their lives. Wow. What would it be to have a church of people that lived that way, that was sold out in that direction? Lord, if there are people here that have never trusted you, I just, would they come to me today and say, I don't understand it all, but this is what I do. I want to to know Jesus. Would they be willing enough to come to me, bold enough to come to me this morning and say, I want to know Jesus. Talk to me about how I can be saved, how I can spend eternity in heaven because Paul laid it out for us that Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross, that he was buried, but he was resurrected on the third day, that he became the sacrifice for our sins 
so that I didn't have to try to work my way into heaven, but it was by God's grace that I was saved, giving me something that I didn't deserve, but my works are evidence of my, of, of God's, of my repentance, of me asking uh, the Lord for repentance, and Lord, that my works are evidence of Christ in me. They're not what saves me. As Paul said, it was by grace that we're saved. Thank you, Father, for giving that to me years ago. And Lord, may I continue to live for you. But Lord, if there are people here that doesn't know Christ, that don't know Christ and are unsure of their eternity, Lord, would they just come see me afterwards and say, I just, I want to know. But in the meantime, those of us that claim to be Christ followers, may we be bold and may we be courageous. And Father, may even today we be willing to ask ourselves the question, Lord, am I doing today what you want me to do? Or Lord, is there something else that's out of line? Was there another part of my life that is not aligned and, and am I not being obedient in the direction maybe that I need to be? Father, help us to see that. And, and Father, even more than seeing that, help us to be obedient. Help us to apply. Help us to live out that. We're challenged, Lord. We're bombarded by movies and by books and things that fill our minds. But nothing can take the place of personal experience because it's the personal experience with the risen Savior that transforms. I pray that in the days ahead we wouldn't play more church, try to do more church, but our goal would be to be the church. Send us out now, Lord, into this world to make a difference. I'm praying, Lord, for, for those that are in Alabama that have walked through this terrible storm in Tennessee and all up through that area. Father, over this next week, I'm praying for a heart that will show us exactly that direction and that place that we need to, to be actively involved. Lord, as we extend a hand of faith, may we be bold. May this be an opportunity for some of our people to be able to exercise their gifts and talents as well as their finances to be able to help restore a place that is broken right now. Father, I thank you for this day because you're risen. And because of that, I can live confidently. In Jesus' name, amen.